be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast designed to help you fall asleep through relaxing stories and hypnotic meditation. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm delighted that you've joined me tonight. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. If you find this podcast effective, please consider subscribing so you can stay up to date with new weekly episodes and fall asleep consistently each night. Additionally, if you would like to receive exclusive content or make a request for the next episode, please visit sendmetosleep.com slash podcast and sign up for our free newsletter. That's sendmetosleep.com slash podcast. For tonight's sleep story, I'll be reading Old Greek Stories, Chapter 8, Admetus and Alcestis, and Chapter 9, Cadmus and Europa, by James Baldwin. This podcast is most effective when you are able to switch off from the outside world which is best achieved by wearing headphones. Tonight's episode is sponsored by Cocoon. Cocoon is the world's first intelligent sleep-aiding headphones designed for ultimate comfort. Cocoon headphones combines premium audio, noise cancellation, comfort-focused design, and intelligent sensors to monitor your relaxation and sleep. On average, users fall asleep 30% faster when using Cocoon headphones. To order a pair of your own and receive a 30-day risk-free trial, please visit cocoon.io and use code SENDMETOSLEEP at checkout for an exclusive 10% discount on your purchase. All links and information are in the show notes. Now, that's enough endorsement for this episode. So, let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 8 Admetus and Alcestis Part 1 The Slave In a little town north of Delphi, and not very far from the sea, there lived a young man named Admetus. He was the ruler of the town, and hence was called its king. But his kingdom was so small that he could walk all round it in half a day. He knew the name of every man and woman and child in the town, and everybody loved him because he was so gentle and kind and at the same time a king. Late one day, When the rain was falling and the wind was blowing cold from the mountains, a beggar came to his door. The man was ragged and dirty and half-starved, and Admetus knew that he must have come from the strange land, for in his own country no one ever went hungry. So the kind king took him into the house and fed him, and after the man had bathed 
he gave him his own warm cloak, and bade the servants make a place for him to sleep through the night. In the morning, Admetus asked the poor man his name, but he shook his head and made no answer. Then Admetus asked him about his home and his country, and all that the man would say was, Make me your slave, master, make me your slave, and let me serve you for a year. The young king did not need another servant, but he saw that the poorest slave in the land was better off than this man, and so he took pity on him. I will do as you ask, he said, I will give you a home and food and clothing, and you shall serve me and be my slave for one year. There was but little that the stranger knew how to do, and so he was sent to the hills to take care of the king's sheep and goats. For a whole year he tended the flocks, finding the greenest pastures and the freshest water for them, and keeping the wolves away. Admetus was very kind to him, as he was to all his servants, and the food and clothing which he gave him were of the best in the land. But the stranger did not tell his name nor say anything about his kindred or his home. When a year and a day had passed, it so happened that Admetus was walking out among the hills to his sheep. All at once the sound of music fell upon his ears. It was no such music as shepherds play, but sweeter and richer than any he had ever heard before. He looked to see where the sound came from. Ah, who was that sitting on the hilltop, with the sheep around him listening to his music? Surely it was not his shepherd. It was a tall and handsome young man, clad in robes lighter and finer than any king might wear. His face was as bright as sunbeams, and his eyes gleamed like lightning. Upon his shoulder was a silver bow, from his belt hung a quiver of sharp arrows, and in his hands was a golden lyre. Admetus stood still and wondered, then the stranger spoke. King Admetus, he said, I am the poor beggar whom you fed, your slave to whom you were so kind. I have served you, as I agreed, for a whole year and now I am going home. Is there anything I can do for you? Yes, said Admetus, tell me your name. My name is Apollo, was the answer. Twelve months ago my father, mighty Jupiter, drove me away from before his face and bade me go out, friendless and alone, upon the earth, and he told me that I should not turn again towards home until I had served a year as some man's slave. I came to you, ragged and half-starved, and you fed and clothed me, and I became your slave and you were as kind to me as though I were your son. 
what shall I give you to reward you? Lord of the silver bow, said the king, I have all that any man can want. I am happy in the thought that I have been of some help to you. I can ask for nothing more. Very well, said Apollo, but if the time should ever come when you need my help, let me know. Then the bright prince walked swiftly away, playing sweet music as he went, and Admetus with glad heart returned to his home. Part 2 The Chariot From the place where Admetus lived, it was only a few miles to Iolcus, a rich city by the sea. The king of Iolcus was a cruel tyrant named Pelias, who cared for nobody in all the world but himself. This Pelias had a daughter named Alcestis, who was as fair as any rose in June, and so gentle and so good that everybody praised her. Many a prince from over the sea had come to woo Alcestis for his wife, and the noblest young men in Greece had tried to win her favour, but there was only one to whom she would listen, and that was her young neighbour, King Admetus. So Admetus went before gruff King Peleus to ask him whether he might wed Alcestis, No one shall have my daughter, said the old king, until he proves he is worthy to be my son-in-law. If you want her, you must come for her in a chariot drawn by a lion and a wild boar. If you come in any other way, she shall not be your wife and Pelias laughed and drove the young man out of his palace. Admetus went away feeling very sad, for who had ever heard of harnessing a lion and a wild boar together in a chariot? The bravest man in the world could not do such a thing as that. As he walked along and saw the sheep and goats feeding on the hilltops near his own town, he chanced to think of Apollo and of the last words that he had heard him say, When you need my help, let me know. I will let him know, said Admetus. Early the next morning, he built an altar of stones in the open field, and when he had killed the fattest goat of the flock, he built a fire on the altar and laid the thighs of the goat in the flames. Then when the smell of the burning flesh went up into the air, He lifted his hands towards the mountain tops and called to Apollo. Lord of the silver bow, he cried, if ever I have shown kindness to the poor and the distressed, come now and help me, for I am in sore need and I remember your promise. Hardly was he done speaking when bright Apollo, bearing his bow and his quiver of arrows, came down and stood before him. 
kindness of kings, he said. Tell me how I can help you. Then Admetus told him all about the fair Alcestis, and how her father would give her only to the man who should come for her in a chariot drawn by a lion and a wild boar. Come with me, said Apollo, and I will help you. Then the two went together into the forest, the lord of the silver bow leading the way. Soon they started a lion from its lair and gave chase to it. The fleet-footed Apollo seized the beast by its mane, and although it howled and snapped with its fierce jaws, it did not touch him. Then Admetus started a wild boar from a thicket. Apollo gave chase to it too, making the lion run beside him like a dog. When he had caught the boar, he went on through the forest, leading the two beasts, one with his right hand, the other with his left, and Admetus followed behind. It was not yet noon when they came to the edge of the woods and saw the sea and the city of Iolcus only a little way off. A golden chariot stood by the roadside as if waiting for them, and the lion and the boar were soon harnessed to it. It was a strange team, and the two beasts tried hard to fight each other, but Apollo lashed them with a whip and tamed them until they lost their fierceness and were ready to mind the rain. Then Admetus climbed into the chariot, and Apollo stood by his side and held the reins and the whip, and drove into Iolcus. Old King Pelias was astonished when he saw the wonderful chariot and the glorious charioteer, and when Admetus again asked him for the fair Alcestis, he could not refuse. A day was set for the wedding, and Apollo drove his team back to the forest and set the lion and the wild boar free. And so Admetus and Alcestis were married, and everybody in the two towns, except gruff old King Pelias, was glad. Apollo himself was one of the guests at the wedding feast, and he brought a present for the young bridegroom. It was a promise from the mighty folk upon the mountain top, that if Admetus should ever be sick and in danger of death, he might become well again if someone who loved him would die for him. Part 3 The Shadow Leader Admetus and Alcestis lived together happily for a long time, and all the people in their little kingdom loved and blessed them. But at last Admetus fell sick, and, as he grew worse and worse every day, all hope that he would ever get well was lost. Then those who loved him remembered the wedding gift which Apollo had given him, and they began to ask who would be willing to die in his stead. His father and mother were very old 
and could hope to live but a short time at best, and so it was thought that one of them would be glad to give up life for the sake of their son. But when someone asked them about it, they shook their heads and said that though life was short, they would cling to it as long as they could. Then his brothers and sisters were asked if they would die for Admetus, but they loved themselves better than their brother, and turned away and left him. There were men in the town whom he had befriended and who owed their lives to him. They would have done everything else for him, but this thing they would not do. Now while all were shaking their heads and saying, not I, the beautiful Alcestis went into her own room and called to Apollo and asked that she might give up her life to save her husband. Then without a thought of fear, she lay down upon her bed and closed her eyes, and a little while afterward, when her maidens came into the room, they found her dead. At the very same time, Admetus felt his sickness leave him, and he sprang up as well and strong as he had ever been. Wondering how it was that he had been so quickly cured, he made haste to find Alcestis and tell her the good news. But when he went into her room, he saw her lying lifeless on her couch, and he knew at once that she had died for him. His grief was so great that he could not speak, and he wished that death had taken him and spared the one whom he loved. In all the land every eye was wet with weeping for Alcestis, and the cries of the mourners were heard in every house. Admetus sat by the couch where his young queen lay, and he held her cold hand in his own. The day passed, and the night came, but he would not leave her. All through the dark hours he sat there alone. The morning dawned, but he did not want to see the light. At last the sun began to rise in the east, and then Admetus was surprised to feel the hand which he held growing warm. He saw a red tinge coming into the pale cheeks of Alcestis. A moment later the fair lady opened her eyes and sat up, alive and well and glad. How was it that Alcestis had been given back to life? When she died and left her body, the shadow leader, who knows no pity, led her, as he led all others, to the cheerless halls of Proserpine, the queen of the lower world. Who is this who comes so willingly? asked the pale-faced queen, and when she was told how Alcestis, so young and beautiful, had given her life to save that of her husband, she was moved with pity, and she bade the shadow leader take her back again to the joy and sunlight of the upper world. So it was that Alcestis came to life, 
and for many years she and Admetus lived in their little kingdom not far from the sea, and the mighty ones on the mountain top blessed them, and, at last, when they had become very old, the shadow leader led them both away together. Chapter 9 Cadmus and Europa Part 1 The Bull In Asia there lived a king who had two children, a boy and a girl. The boy's name was Cadmus, and the girl's name was Europa. The king's country was a very small one. He could stand on his housetop and see the whole of it. On one side of it there were mountains, and on the other side was the sea. The king thought that it was the centre of the world, and he did not know much about other lands and people. Yet he was very happy in his own little kingdom, and very fond of his children, and he had good reason to be proud of them, for Cadmus grew up to be the bravest young man in the land, and Europa to be the fairest maiden that had ever been seen. But sad days came to them all at last. One morning, Europa went out into a field near the seashore to pick flowers. Her father's cattle were in the field, grazing among the sweet clover. They were all very tame, and Europa knew every one of them by name. The herdsman was lying in the shade under a tree, trying to make music on a little flute of straw. Europa had played in the field a thousand times before, and no one had ever thought of any harm befalling her. That morning she noticed that there was a strange bull with the herd. He was very large and as white as snow, and he had soft brown eyes which somehow made him look very gentle and kind. At first he did not even look at Europa, but went here and there, eating the tender grass which grew among the clover. But when she had gathered her apron full of daisies and buttercups, he came slowly towards her. She was not at all afraid of him, and so she stopped to look at him. He was so handsome. He came close to her and rubbed her arm with his nose to say, Good morning. She stroked his head and neck, and he seemed much pleased. Then she made a wreath of daisies and hung it around his neck. He looked at her with his soft, kind eyes, and seemed to thank her, and in a little while, he lay down among the clover. Europa then made a smaller wreath to twine it round his horns, but all at once he sprang up and ran away so swiftly that Europa could not help herself. She did not dare to jump off while he was going so fast, and all that she could think to do was to hold fast to his neck and scream very loud. The herdsman under the tree heard her scream, and jumped up to see what was the matter. 
he saw the bull running with her towards the shore. He ran after them as fast as he could, but it was of no use. The bull leapt into the sea and swam swiftly away with poor Europa on his back. Several other people had seen him, and now they ran to tell the king. Soon the whole town was alarmed. Everybody ran out to the shore and looked. All that could be seen was something white moving very fast over the calm blue water, and soon it was out of sight. The king sent out his fastest ship to try to overtake the bull. The sailors rowed far out to sea, much farther than any ship had ever gone before, but no trace of Europa could be found. When they came back, everybody felt that there was no more hope. All the women and children in the town wept for the lost Europa. The king shut himself up in his house and did not eat nor drink for three days. Then he called his son Cadmus and bade him take a ship and go in search of his sister, and he told him that no matter what dangers might be in his way, he must not come back until she was found. Cadmus was glad to go. He chose twenty brave young men to go with him, and set sail the very next day. It was a great undertaking for they were to pass through an unknown sea, and they did not know what lands they would come to. Indeed, it was feared that they would never come to any land at all. Ships did not dare to go far from the shore in those days, but Cadmus and his friends were not afraid. They were ready to face any danger. In a few days they came to a large island called Cyprus. Cadmus went on shore and tried to talk with the strange people who lived there. They were very kind to him, but they did not understand his language. At last he made out by signs to tell them who he was, and to ask them if they had seen his little sister Europa, or the white bull that had carried her away. They shook their heads and pointed to the west. Then the young men sailed on their little ship. They came to many islands and stopped at every one to see if they could find any trace of Europa, but they heard no news of her at all. At last, they came to the country which we now call Greece. It was a new country then, and only a few people lived there and Cadmus soon learned to speak their language well. For a long time he wandered from one little town to another, always telling the story of his lost sister. Part 2 The Pythia One day an old man told Cadmus that if he would go to Delphi and ask the Pythia, perhaps she could tell him all about Europa. Cadmus had never heard of Delphi or of the Pythia, and he asked the old man what he meant. 
I will tell you, said the man. Delphi is a town built near the foot of Mount Parnassus, at the very centre of the earth. It is the town of Apollo, the bringer of light, and there is a temple there, built close to the spot where Apollo killed a black serpent many, many years ago. The temple is the most wonderful place in the world. In the middle of the floor there is a wide crack or crevice, and this crevice goes down, down into the rock. Nobody knows how deep. A strange odour comes up out of the crevice, and if anyone breathes much of it, he is apt to fall over and lose his senses. But who is the Pythia that you spoke about? asked Cadmus. I will tell you, said the old man. The Pythia is a wise woman who lives in the temple. When anybody asks her a hard question, she takes a three-legged stool, called a tripod, and sets it over the crevice in the floor. Then she sits on the stool and breathes the strange odour, and instead of losing her senses as other people would do, she talks with Apollo and Apollo tells her how to answer the question. Men from all parts of the world go there to ask about things which they would like to know. The temple is full of the beautiful and costly gifts which they have brought for the Pythia. Sometimes she answers them plainly, and sometimes she answers them in riddles, but what she says always comes true. So Cadmus went to Delphi to ask the Pythia about his lost sister. The wise woman was very kind to him, and when he had given her a beautiful golden cup to pay for her troubles, She sat down on the tripod and breathed the strange odour which came up through the crevice in the rock. Then her face grew pale, and her eyes looked wild, and she seemed to be in great pain, but they said that she was talking with Apollo. Cadmus asked her to tell him what had become of Europa. She said that Jupiter, in the form of a white bull, had carried her away, and that it would be of no use to look for her any more. But what shall I do? said Cadmus. My father told me not to turn back till I should find her. Your father is dead, said the Pythia, and a strange king rules his place. You must stay in Greece, for there is work here for you to do. What must I do? said Cadmus. Follow the white cow, said the Pythia and on the hill where she lies down, you must build a city. Cadmus did not understand what she meant by this, but she would not speak another word. This must be one of her riddles, he said, and he left the temple. Part 3 The Dragon When Cadmus went out of the temple, 
he saw a snow-white cow standing not far from the door. She seemed to be waiting for him, for she looked at him with her large brown eyes, and then turned and walked away. Cadmus thought of what the Pythia had just told him, and so he followed her. All day and all night he walked through a strange wild country where no one lived, and two of the young men who had sailed with Cadmus from his old home were with him. When the sun rose the next morning, they saw that they were on the top of a beautiful hill, with the woods on one side and a grassy meadow on the other. There the cow lay down. Here we will build our city, said Cadmus. Then the young men made a fire of dry sticks, and Cadmus killed the cow. They thought that if they should burn some of her flesh, the smell of it would go up into the sky and be pleasing to Jupiter and the mighty folk who lived with him among the clouds, and in this way they hoped to make friends with Jupiter so that he would not hinder them in their work. But they needed water to wash the flesh and their hands and so one of the young men went down the hill to find some. He was gone so long that the other young man became uneasy and went after him. Cadmus waited for them till the fire had burned low. He waited and waited till the sun was high in the sky. He called and shouted, but no one answered him. At last he took his sword in his hand and went down to see what was the matter. He followed the path which his friends had taken, and soon came to a fine stream of cold water at the foot of a hill. He saw something move among the bushes which grew near it, It was a fierce dragon, waiting to spring upon him. There was blood on the grass and leaves, and it was not hard to guess what had become of the two young men. The beast sprang at Cadmus and tried to seize him with his sharp claws, but Cadmus leapt quickly aside and struck it in the neck with his long sword. A great stream of black blood gushed out, and the dragon soon fell to the ground dead. Cadmus had seen many fearful sights, but never anything so dreadful as this beast. He had never been in so great danger before. He sat down on the ground and trembled, and, all the time, he was weeping for his two friends. How now was he to build a city, with no one to help him? Part 4 The City While Cadmus was still weeping, he was surprised to hear someone calling him. He stood up and looked around. On the hillside before him was a tall woman who had a helmet on her head and a shield in her hand. Her eyes were grey, and her face, though not beautiful, was very noble. Cadmus knew at once that she was Athena, the queen of the air, she who gives wisdom to men. Athena told Cadmus that he must take out the teeth of the dragon 
and sow them in the ground. He thought that would be a queer kind of seed, but she said that if he would do this, he would soon have men enough to help him build his city, and before he could say a word, she had gone out of his sight. The dragon had a great many teeth, so many that when Cadmus had taken them out, they filled his helmet, heaping full. The next thing was to find a good place to sow them. Just as he turned away from the stream, he saw a yoke of oxen standing a little way off. He went to them and found that they were hitched to a plough. What more could he want? The ground in the meadow was soft and black, and he drove the plough up and down, making long furrows as he went. Then he dropped the teeth, one by one, into the furrows and covered them over with the rich soil. When he had sown all of them in this way, he sat down on the hillside and watched to see what would happen. In a little while the soil in the furrows began to stir. Then, at every place that a tooth had been dropped, something bright grew up. It was a brass helmet. The helmets pushed their way up, and soon the faces of men were seen underneath. Then their shoulders, then their arms then their bodies, and then, before Cadmus could think, a thousand warriors leapt out of the furrows and shook off the black earth which was clinging to them. Every man was clothed in a suit of brass armour, and everyone had a long spear in his right hand and a shield in his left. Cadmus was frightened when he saw the strange crop which had grown up from the dragon's teeth. The men looked so fierce that he feared they would kill him if they saw him. He hid himself behind his plough and then began to throw stones at them. The warriors did not know where the stones came from but each thought that his neighbour had struck him. Soon they began to fight among themselves. Man after man was killed, and in a little while only five were left alive. Then Cadmus ran towards them and called out, Hold! Stop fighting! You are my men, and must come with me. We will build a city here. The men obeyed him. They followed Cadmus to the top of the hill, and they were such good workmen that in a few days they had built a house on the top where the cow had lain down. After that they built other houses, and people came to live in them. They called the town Cadmia, after Cadmus who was its first king, but when the place had grown to be a large city, it was known by the name of Tebes. Cadmus was a wise king. The mighty folk who lived with Jupiter amid the clouds were well pleased with him and helped him in more ways than one. After a while he married Harmonia, the beautiful daughter of Mars. All the mighty ones were at the wedding, and Athena gave the bride a wonderful necklace about which you may learn something more another time. But the greatest thing that Cadmus did is yet to be told. He was the first schoolmaster of the Greeks, and taught them
than the letters which were used in his own country across the sea. They called the first of these letters Alpha and the second Beta, and that is why men speak of the alphabet to this day. And when the Greeks had learned the alphabet from Cadmus, they soon began to read and write, and to make beautiful and useful books. As for the maiden Europa, she was carried safe over the sea to a distant shore. She may have been happy in the new strange land to which she was taken, I cannot tell, but she never heard of friends or home again. Whether it was really Jupiter in the form of a bull that carried her away, nobody knows. It all happened so long ago that there may have been some mistake about the story and I should not think it strange if it were a sea robber who stole her from her home, and a swift ship with white sails that bore her away. Of one thing I am very sure, she was loved so well by all who knew her that the great unknown country to which she was taken has been called after her name ever since, Europe.